From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. While other college students were binging on pizza and planning their next party, Eric Brust was in the basement kitchen of his dorm at St. Olaf College in Northfield, Minnesota, peeling fruit, measuring ingredients, and trying to perfect an all-natural popsicle. He succeeded! Johnny Pops launched in 2011 when Eric and his partners were college freshmen. They graduated in 2014, moved the company to St. Louis Park, and began an epic rise in the world of packaged foods. Johnny Pops is now sold nationwide at Target, Costco, Sam's Club, and many other chains. In 2018, Eric and co-founder Connor Ray were named to Forbes' 30 under 30 list of young entrepreneurs. And they're just getting started. Eric, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. It was hard to get on your schedule. You're a busy man. Well, I don't know about that. I'm happy (laughs) to be here. Anything for you guys. Well, your story is so amazing, and it's such a delicious product and a happy story and, I mean, really cool. But who thinks when they're a college freshman about making popsicles? It was Why a, popsicles? It was a crazy place to land. When we're standing in negative 20-degree freezers, we always joke we should have started a granola bar company or something. <laughs> it would have been right. a lot more comfortable. Um, I mean, basically, you know, my cousin and I, Jonathan, the, the, the namesake of our business, came up with this idea. Um, and as the story goes, as you as you know, you know, he passed away a couple months after we thought of it. Yeah. And so it was sort of in, you know, as random as popsicles are, it was sort of just because that was the shared memory he and I had and the the thing we got excited about at the time. And so And we that said, was when you were how old? Um so that was right before I started my freshman year. Okay. So it was, you know, twelve months prior or something. Okay, like and that. what? Like set the scene for us. You're like on a hot street corner saying I could really use a popsicle. Yeah, basically we were out traveling uh, to the southern part of the United States and there was like this little shop that we walked into that were they were making a couple hundred wacky flavors of popsicles and we said, Wouldn't this be fun? If, um, you know, 90% of these don't taste great, what if we took the 10% that are awesome and uh, made them so people could buy them in the grocery stores because everything else is just sugar and colorings and high fructose corn syrup? And we said, what if we turn this into like a smoothie on a stick product? And that sort of stuck. And um, like I said, that that was where the idea was born. And so did you actually, I mean, you're, you're, you're a kid, you're a teenager. Like, were you, did you have a part-time job when you were in high school? Were you looking for a business idea? I guess I've had the entrepreneurial bug forever, like most entrepreneurs say. I mean, I was flipping, I was uh, printing t-shirts back in high school, uh, thinking that that was going to be the, the big business for me to get into. So I always wanted to start a business. Um, but you know, you just keep kicking around ideas until you finally say, Hey, we might be able to make something like this work. And we started it. So how quickly after that inspiration for a natural popsicle occurred, how quickly did you actually start thinking, okay, let's work on this? So we were working on it 2011. We spent basically in between class periods and after, after classes, we would just go to lecture halls and draw it up on the whiteboard and mocked up a business plan and basically an Excel sheet and said, here's how we're going to make this work. And who was the we? You um, had a we, couple so, friends? Yeah. So there was uh, originally four of us, actually, who who came up with this idea. And and uh, we started working on this just in our spare time. 
Um, and so there were four individuals throughout college uh, who were working on this the whole time. And once we graduated school, um, we sort of, uh, a couple people went their own way and there were just sort of two that remained. Okay. You and Connor? Yeah. You and Connor. And uh, we also had Jamie with us at that time. And another, you know, year and a half after that, um, it just became Connor and I who remained. Did Do you think that the others were like, we're going to make millions on popsicles? <laughs> or do you think they just thought it was like fun? It was. A... I think it was fun. It was a great learning experience. Um, I think we had a lot of enthusiasm for it. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, like they're still very involved in the business. They, they love talking to us about it. There's just... You know, I think they had other passions in life. I mean, St. Olaf is such a musical school. We had people who were interested in music. We had um, uh, one original person who was working on it who ended up uh, working in the military. And so it was just different passions and mm -hmm. life paths and people splintered a little bit, but not because really for any uh, bad reason. So I know you you tell the story about working it out in the in the dorm kitchen, but I mean, what what were you? Re I mean, did you get permission? Were you sneaking in there, cutting up bananas and strawberries? I mean, ba yeah, basically, what? we'd go to the farmers market or the the grocery store, and we'd buy these frozen fruits and veggies or these fresh ones, and we just bought a cheap little blender. And um, I was a statistics major at the time, so. I, we would make the recipe, we'd freeze them, I'd pour them into little ice cube trays with little toothpicks in them, and we'd like go up and down the hallways just like asking people if they liked A, B, or C. And I was turning in stats homework with my little studies on which of the flavorings, and that's like was the basis of, uh, um, I don't know, how the, how the original four flavors were born. How many, uh, how many iterations did it oh, take well, to We always say, people ask us nowadays when we come out with a new flavor, how many formulas did it take? Yeah. Um, I would say it's anywhere from 60 to 100 usually is wow. like the range. You know, sometimes you get lucky and you get one at like 20 or 25 that just works well. Mm -hmm. um, but usually you're still just putting with these super teeny ratios um, that you wouldn't think would change it that much. But it's sort of like baking. There's like huge impacts for small percent changes. And did you enjoy the the food aspect? I mean, do you, do you like cooking or do you like baking or was it all about the stats for you? Um, I, I like cooking and baking for sure. I think it's, um, I've always, I've been cursed with the super sensitive um, sense of smell, I guess. So I've always been someone who's enjoyed um, the the valleys and the peaks and the, the journey of, you know, eating exciting foods, right? So uh, for me, I, I enjoyed like the recipe creation aspect of it. But mm -hmm. at the same time, like we were college kids, we were also just hungry. Like we were happy to, <laughs> you know, like, Eat a popsicle. Yeah, you weren't having to twist a lot of arms to get people to eat, sure. eat ice cream. So you settle on these four flavors. What were the original four? So pineapple, coconut, um, strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, and then our cold-pressed coffee and dark chocolate. Okay. And the key was everything natural. Everything natural, just the things we could get our hands on it, basically farmer's markets or the grocery store. No added sugar? There's no. So there's added – there's cane sugar that is in all of our products. Okay. Um, but – they're about half the fat, calories, and sugar of traditional ice cream just because so much of the sugar comes from the fruit. Um, we don't really juice them full of, like, you know, this crazy amount of added sugar. So mm -hmm. we wouldn't necessarily call it a, you know, in no ways is it like a sugar-free dessert. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, you know, I don't know. I, I believe everything in moderation is okay in life. And so yeah. it's, a, it's a wholesome dessert. Right. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So you have these flavors. You've got your idea. What do you do next? Did you have the name? Did you have packaging? How do you actually start selling this? So 
we had the name after my cousin Jonathan, so that was sort of set and Jonathan in stone. passed away. Yeah, Jonathan passed away. Um, so the original concept um, as part of a marketing class was we were going to make this Johnny Pops company, and we we're going to sell these popsicles and um, sell them around the the lakes and the Twin Cities. We were going to get pedal carts and sell them there, and then sell them at like a couple sandwich shops. Um, we wired like three and a half thousand dollars down to this like random bank account in Brazil thinking that we you know because we needed to buy our our initial equipment and we thought we for sure were going to lose it and sure enough uh you know two and a half months later this little crate shows up with um all of the um, palatas things that we needed because this is obviously uh you know they're they're sold everywhere but it's a South American inspired dessert right mm -hmm. um and uh, where, where did where were you going to keep this equipment in well, your dorm room? Yeah, basically, we kept it in our <laughs> dorm room for the time being, and then we'd shuttle it down to the kitchen downstairs and just and work on these. And and we knew before we could sell them, we had to get you know permitting from the Department of Agriculture and the FDA. Um, so we uh, the the first problem that we spent a fair amount of time solving is just how we're going to get a commercial kitchen. We can't afford to build one, mm -hmm. and we can't afford to rent one full time. Um, and so we started targeting. We said, okay, who would maybe have a kitchen that isn't fully utilized? And we ended up uh, calling every church and every event center within like 30 miles. And sure enough, there was an event center who said, you can uh, use our commercial kitchen Monday through Thursday, but then the weekends, you know, we're going to host weddings and various things like that. So you can't use it. So, so did they rent you the so space? So they rented us the space. We moved our little molds and our equipment there. We scheduled our appointment with our state uh Department of Agriculture person, and they came in and and inspected and inspected all the hand washing and the sanitation procedures and the ingredients and all those things, and and gave us the thumbs up, saying that we had a, a safe way to make product, and we started making popsicles. And did you have? I mean, even the packaging seems like a pain to figure out. Oh, it was all super slow. I mean, we would just, um, I mean, you'd find what you could online, you'd order some in, you'd fail at it, you'd make it work. I mean, our original packages, we all hand labeled them and then you'd have to stand in the freezer and use this little like foot pedal heat sealing device to seal them one at a time. Did you so. have mentors in the business world or did you have professors who helped? We've Were had hundreds and hundreds of people who've helped us on this over the years for sure. You know, it's, it's almost so much that um, I feel bad because there were, you know, I feel like I can't even remember them all nowadays because there's just been so many people who've you know, giving us small pieces of advice. I mean, you name it, just calling 1-800 numbers for businesses we never did any work with. I mean, they just said, oh, yeah, you're not thinking about this right. You, you really need to be talking to someone who's a freezer specialist because, you know, we only work on refrigeration and refrigeration systems don't work in this way or whatever the esoteric learning is. I mean, there's just been a lot of shaping from um being open, having a curious mind, and just sort of brute forcing our way through growing this. So it was really 2012 that you started actually Yep. So April selling. 2012, we sold our first pop, which was super exciting for us. Where um, did you sell it? Um, we had two spots. One, we had Hogan Brothers in Northfield, Minnesota, which was a sandwich shop. And then uh, at the St. Olaf Cafe, basically, it's like their cash cash and carry option, dining option. So we sold a couple cases to each of those, and we had these initial menus that we made that had a really bad printing problem with the menus, but we 
had paid 30 bucks for him, so we didn't want to get rid of him, and we were <laughs> we were in business. We were uh-huh. super excited about it. And did people start buying right away? Was um, it a big hit? I, I think we... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess, yes. I mean, we had a couple people who looked at it and were like, this is crazy. Maybe we'll give it a shot. And right away, um, you have a couple college uh, college classmates or whatever who say, wow, like that coconut pineapple is amazing. I just love it. Or, you know, the chocolate coffee is, you know, delicious. I'm eating one, you know, at 11 a.m. every morning in between my first and second period or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and so we just started getting excited. I mean, it wasn't like a floodgate suddenly, but I mean, we were selling, you know, you know, first it was a couple dozen a week, and then it was a hundred a week, and then it was one hundred fifty a week, and you know, all we just right sort of around kept going campus, all right around campus, and then in town at the at the at the sandwich shop. So then, what was kind of the next big milestone? Where do you you've got some proof of concept at this point? You've got a process. Yep. So we had our first summer. We were working on it. Um, so those sales were in April. Then we had that first summer of uh, two thousand and twelve that. Um, we kicked off a whole bunch of farmers markets, which was very pivotal for us. That's uh, where I'd say most of our consumer learning came from at the beginning. And we kicked off a couple, um, you know, I think our biggest account that year was like we had a cart um, that we had a couple items in one of the carts at like the Minnesota Zoo, right? And that sold a couple thousand pops for us or something mm. like that. Um, we were super excited about launching a, a zoo cart. And uh, we had a couple spots around like the Twin Cities lakes, you know, some of the restaurants that are there that would sell them out of their cafes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, we sold probably 25 or 30,000 popsicles that year. So were you making any money? We weren't making any money. No, we didn't even pay ourselves. I mean, I think our year one revenue was $54,000. And I want to say we we had a $12,000 loss or something like that on the year. I mean, we just, you know, ingredient costs were super high. We didn't have a scaled way to manufacture it. Um, but regardless, we were excited about the idea. We were excited that we had um, all these fans that were building at the farmer's markets and people who started buying cases of them to take them home. And that's when we started saying, hey, you know, these are, um, we, we might be onto something here where this might, you know, maybe we shouldn't just shut this down after one summer. Maybe we should keep going with it. And and so what where did you go? How did I mean, did you first of all, where did you get the money to to keep it going in the early days? Was it just your I mean it's basically friends and family and we all we'd we'd switch to we did all these creative things. I kept negotiating with my parents to help uh move away from like the traditional St. Olaf meal plan into just like giving uh helping contribute to uh, what it would take to feed me for the semester, but then I wouldn't buy the food through St. Olaf. I'd go buy it at the grocery store and make it myself, and the extra, you know, a couple thousand dollars would just go into the business type thing. Huh. Um, a lot of ramen. Yeah, plenty of ramen, <laughs> plenty of oatmeal, you know, like the simple things. Um, but I don't know. We just sort of creatively thought it through, and and once we got a good um, pulse of farmers markets going on, and just like what I would call our direct cash cash business and our um, direct-to-consumer business where we didn't have to pay a distributor, we didn't have anyone else trying to mark up the product, you know, that helped fund the business a ton. It ultimately led to us getting into the state fair, you know, which also helped a ton. But, you know, that was a lot of the seed money came from um, having this direct-to-consumer business. Why do you think it was a hit? What was it that resonated with consumers? I think food, a lot of people complicate food, talk about brands, talk about all these uh, little 
things that they solve for consumers. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about great tasting food, right? I think the reason we've been able to continue to grow is because we've been able to scale making a outstanding smoothie on a stick, great tasting product, right? We're the only people in the world who are using the process that we are, right? I mean, it's just totally unique to our product because we're trying to process so much fruit and it's so fresh and there's so much variability in the fruit. I mean, the whole game for us has been how do we keep solving or how do we keep not solving, sourcing the best ingredients in the world? And mm-hmm. then how do we keep, you know, scaling up our process so that it really doesn't change how the pop is formed, how it's frozen, how it's packaged. You know, it's it's essentially uh, the same as it was when we started it in that basement room. It's yeah. just a lot more pops in a day now. So smoothie on a stick, that's really the key. That's it's, really what we talk about. It's a smoothie on a stick. Yep. Isn't it hard to believe that nobody else had done that? I mean, you'd, you'd think, but then, you know, once you um, – it, it seemed uh, magical at the beginning – and then you go look at, you know, because I've spent a lot of time at this point walking into other ice cream plants and taking a look. And, mm-hmm. you know, now you sort of appreciate that our process is um, it's a lot harder. You know, there's a lot more work mm. that goes into it. And it's amazing to look at some of these lines and these big competitors. And, you know, they're producing just zillions of of pops in an hour or in a day, you know. It's and just water and yeah, sugar and, and water color. and sugar and there's hardly any labor and it just all sort of makes itself and mm-hmm. does it. But um, How much of your process is manual or is it all automated at this point? I mean, hard to try to quantify what's manual and what's automated. I mean, we still have, uh, we still have so many pieces of it that, I mean, not only the, the work, but like the on-the-floor quality and verification of that the fruit is, you know, meets our specification in terms of ripeness, that all those pieces, I mean, it's a very manual process from a ensuring that everyone goes out the door perfectly. We always talk about it's, there's nothing hard about it. It's just mastering a thousand variables and having, you know, everyone on the production floor watching, you know, for their portion of those variables to make sure that um, they're they're keeping this going. But um, they're all, I mean, Everyone is pulled by hand. Everyone is still dipped by hand. You know, they're all still, um, there's some flavors that we still fill the molds by hand. So, I mean, it's hmm. not. Uh, How many people work for Johnny Pops today? Um, so we're just under 50 full-time people. Um, in our, it's about half and half. We have half the people who are in operations and in production. And then we have um, about 20 or so that are in sales and operations, finance, um, going back to college, when you got the you got the space to to make the popsicles. What about storage? Didn't you need freezers to? I mean, how were you fulfilling the orders? They couldn't all be in your little dorm room yeah, freezer. So that, that's eventually how we got. Um, I, I don't want to say we weren't kicked out. We just were. We outgrew the space. Is really the better way to put it. Is we ran out of freezer space. So we had this little walk-in freezer that we were storing all of our pops in. And at this event center. At this event center okay. and. You know, once they had enough, uh, I mean, there were a couple times that, like, you opened that freezer door and you were just looking at a wall of wedding supplies and frozen chicken and whatever, and then the little corner over here that was the Johnny Pops corner. So um, at some point we just said, like, we need to we need our own square footage and our own space because sharing this is just not going to be sustainable anymore. So um, we jumped up to a little spot in – Lakeville, Minnesota, which was about 20, a 20 minute drive or so north um, through country roads from Northfield. And we had a little couple thousand square feet there. We put in a big freezer and 
That was our second production spot. So, when did you actually turn a profit? Oh boy, um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting to talk about. I mean, we don't we don't share too much of that openly. But what I will say is, it was longer. It was as long as all the people who were negative on it at the beginning or said, "Oh, this is going to be it's going to take you so much longer to make money than you ever thought." They were all right. It's a very long, <laughs> slow process. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we kept getting excited and excited in investing in the business. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say after two or three years, we felt, well, if we pulled back, we could have a nice, profitable, sustainable business here, but we want to keep pushing it and growing it. Um, and we've continued to choose that path. You know, I would still say at any point if we said, okay, we're going to not invest in these out-of-state markets and not keep, you know, growing it, you know, we would have a really nice, sustainable business. Um, but at the same time, we just, we, we love the growth. We love the excitement of it. And that's sort of what our team Are you paying yourself on. a salary? We are paying ourselves a salary. We started, even when we graduated school in 2014, we all had, um, everyone in the organization had a living wage that they were pulling. So that's great. A lot of yeah. people don't do that. A lot we've, of people don't. We've heard that here on this show. Um, so how was there like a, a moment at which you were like, okay, this is for sure. I mean, you, you had some early signs. People were liking the product. You were selling some product. But when did you really know like this is going to be a business and this is what I want to do? We started having – I would say it was at the farmer's markets. I mean, we started having people who would come up and buy cases of 24 of them for – 50, 60 bucks. You know, it was just like a very expensive um, price to take home this this thing of popsicles. And um, at the end of our season, the second year, you know, we probably had 50 or 60 people who purchased full price cases from us. And we said, wow, like there's a pretty good need out there in the world. If this many people are willing to shell that kind of money for, you know, these treats that we're making and they want to keep them over the winter and have them. Um, you know, we could probably sell them in grocery stores and, and make a business of this. So, I mean, that was a big point for us. I mean, it's easy to go back and look at some of the big sales wins that we had. I mean, I remember how excited we were when we got into the Minnesota State Fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a huge win for us because just from a marketing and awareness standpoint, um, how you know, tricky was it? How tricky was it to go from the farmers markets to grocery stores? And did that happen after you graduated? So the year we graduated school, 2014, is when we launched the grocery pack for the okay. first time, and it was very challenging. Totally different world. Very um, different competition. Different uh, problems you're up against. I mean. Um, but at the same time, it was very good for the business because now there was a spot that people could purchase our product 24-7, right? And mm-hmm. we don't have to physically be there for someone to buy our product anymore, which before we'd right. be standing at the You're events. Not... Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And were you personally standing <laughs> at oh, the absolutely. events? Oh, absolutely. I was – yes, we were doing <laughs> – you, you didn't know. have people for that. No, we had no it. people for that. No, it was just us. We'd go to the farmer's markets in the morning, and we'd go do production in the afternoon, and then you know work on the business basically in between, and we sort of had a – schedule that rotated that and well, this is kind of a crazy question but when was there ever a point in college i mean y- you didn't necessarily know this was going to take off as fast as it did did you feel like you missed out were you working constantly throughout college like do you have memories of just like being a college student going to parties or was it all popsicles no what it wasn't all popsicles it was very consuming uh, i would not say it was all consuming though i mean we still had an awesome time i was able to study abroad still oh. um, while we were in school um, even Where'd after starting this business i went to australia and new zealand 
actually. Uh, it was a, just an amazing trip. How are the popsicles over there? Popsicles are great. Believe it or not, they have a huge <laughs> fruit bar business. So there's a couple flavors that uh, while I was there tasted and then brought back um, they had some mangoes that were just outstanding. So, so you can write off that semester. Then. <laughs> I, I wish. I wish I would have back then. Yeah. yeah. But, um, so it wasn't all popsicles. We still had a very fulfilling college business, but certainly by or college business, we had a very fulfilling college career. But certainly by halfway through senior year, I mean, we were so checked out trying to get this business running. I mean, we sort of skipped the big portion of, of, uh, Probably a lot of the college life at the end of it. Did you go to your graduation? We did go to graduation. Yep. Okay, but um, but you, there was no part of you that thought I'm going to go get some corporate job or do something else. Like you were all in. On we were Johnny all in. Nuts. If not this, we just said we'll go. You know, at this point, we'd just go. Would have gone and worked in the food industry in another high growth business or something like that. If it wouldn't have worked, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's a scary, scary jump you got to make. Just saying, I'm going to go all in on this. But I don't know. I I don't see any other way to get a business going unless you commit yourself 100% to it. I mean, there's a lot of people who try to do multiple businesses at once or they try to hold down a full-time job and then get something going in their garage on nights and weekends. And I mean, at some point, I mean, that's a good way to get started, but at some point, it's just you have to sort of raise the stakes for yourself and for, you know, everything else and just say, I'm going to focus all my time and energy and everything I got to this thing because otherwise... Mm-hmm. Um, they just never get the activation energy they need otherwise. You know, sure. it just takes so much work. At what point did you say we need to raise money? Oh, boy. Uh, when we graduated school, we said we have to go out and find some real, you know, Minnesota-based angel food investors, people who've done this before. Um, if we want to launch into grocery stores, we said we need to upgrade our facility a little bit more. We want to make the product even safer and more consistent and buy the initial run of packaging. Um, So that was the, I guess, 2014 is when we said we need to go actually raise a couple hundred thousand dollars to go make this happen. Was it hard? Um, It's, raising money is always hard. It's it's always a difficult thing. It's it's very humbling to go walking out there, pitching your idea and hoping that people are gonna believe in you and then give you money to go live that out. Um, It's it's a very difficult thing, but, you know, I think that's just also like a numbers game. You just got to put a ton of people in the funnel. You got to get ready for 99 no's and one yes, right? So, And is that us, what happened? I mean, basically, yeah. We, we had a, uh, an awesome success with the St. Olaf Cup, which turned into qualifying us for the Minnesota Cup. We won that student division. So that was $20,000 of seed capital in 2014. And then from that network that of that student division, and that was the first year of like the food and egg division as well. We basically called and exhausted every relationship that we possibly could out of that little world, mm-hmm. um, and that helped uh, helped build that initial funding round for us. How much have you raised at this point overall? How many rounds? Yeah, we've you know? we've done we've gone through I think three total rounds. You know, we don't really discuss round size or details with people. You know, they have gotten substantially larger as we've gone on, mm-hmm. but um, you know, at the same time, uh, that's just been to basically invest in a big. Uh, and a big uh, team, tons of capabilities earlier than we need it so that we can uh, sort of grow into, um, I don't know, grow into that team, so to say, grow into the capabilities yeah. and keep always staying like one hep- one step ahead of wherever the business is. 
Did it add a lot of pressure for you? I mean, you already have pressure and you've got overhead and you've got employees and you've got equipment and and all of this going on and you're just out of college and you've never really worked for anybody else, by the way, which is kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, besides my brief brief stint at the apple orchard back in high school. But yeah, besides that, yeah, yeah, never had. Um, So, but but the the raising of capital, I mean, that's always kind of a a, a key, you know, a key thing and a, a is it is, is it stressful? Or is it stressful? Just... Yes, I would say it is. It is very stressful. I mean, you're dealing with rejection. You're dealing with plenty of that, and you're also it's it's just a it's a very lonely process, <laughs> you know. And everyone who's who's done it, uh, who's failed at it, or done it successfully, knows what I, I think I'm talking about when I say it's just it's very lonely. You just are sitting there like, how am I going to make this happen? Yeah. Um, but. That's one of those, you know, defining pieces of getting these businesses off the ground that everyone has to go through. It feels like is you just got to go grind out a way to 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 raise raise the capital, and then once you have it, you're sitting there saying, "I am going to work as hard as I can to not spend this because mm-hmm. I need this to go so far." You know, I need this to really last me. Um, and people who usually raise money really quickly um, either, you know, have a ton of momentum behind it and it works out for them or they, you know, spend it super quickly and uh, then they're sitting there stuck needing to go raise more money. So right. once we once we had the money in the door, we tried as hard as we could to invest it slowly. At what point would you say Johnny Pops became national? I mean, you started out with, with local grocery mm-hmm. stores. At this point, you're all over. When we're, did that happen? We're all over in some ways. You know, I mean, Target took us national last year, which was just an incredible um, incredible vote of confidence from them. And it's just been an amazing partnership. Uh, and, and we even sell, I mean, we have some product that gets exported, you know, overseas. You know, the funniest part about it, though, is, I mean, food is such a it's such a momentum game in mm-hmm. terms of uh, I remember talking to, you know, Dan and Angie of, of Angie's Boom Chicka Pop and how much they just talk about, you know, here you're working in this business. It feels larger than life. And then you go out there into a, a, even a local grocery store in, in their hometown or, you know, for Johnny Pops. I was did this demo at our at our local grocery store, our first, uh, one of our first grocery stores we ever launched. And you're still amazed at how many people have never heard of the company, never heard of the product. They have no idea what it is, right? Mm-hmm. So in some ways it feels like, yeah, we've launched national. We have that and we have the ability for people to be able to walk into any target anywhere in the country and get our product. But I would say less than a half of 1% of the people in the United States even know what we are. I mean, it's such a microscopic number and that's the amazing part about food is it's such a long slow build Mm -hmm. to get that you know that to get on the shopping list to have the consumers become aware and then for them to actually build a habit of eating the product so how do you do that i mean does that mean that these days you're spending more time and resources on marketing and advertising yep you spend you spend uh time and money certainly on marketing and advertising um but you also just it's a it's a patient game. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. There's no uh, there's no overnight success stories, in my opinion, in the food industry. Often it feels overnight, but they've usually been working on it for five, six, seven, eight, ten, fifteen years before that. Yeah. Um, and then finally, you know, something really clicked, or they got into this, um, you know, this downhill period of growth, which is you know super fun to be a part of those accelerations, but. Uh, they don't just come off the bat. 
How do you divide your time these days? What are you? What's a typical day at Johnny Pop's World Headquarters? <laughs> a typical day at Johnny Pop's World Headquarters. Um, it it varies for sure. You know, I always talk about the three legs of the stool, and you're always sort of going around. You know, supporting sales and marketing, supporting uh, the operations piece, and then you go back to supporting finance, right? And I feel like I rotate through on a couple month basis, sort of supporting different aspects of it. Um, you know, but at this point. My job has largely shifted from being an individual contributor, being someone who uh, is doing the farmers markets, who's making the pops, who's you know in there um, executing the state fair. To now, it feels like how do I hire people who are better at this than I could ever be? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I have a consistent culture so that people are understanding? You know, what grew this business into what it is today, and what we have to do to keep going forward. And then, you know, how do I make sure that we have, you know, just all the simple things in business that you take for granted that are um, so important is how do we have the communication styles and the trust and the all those components exist between our team so that people can, you know, efficiently get their work done. Mm-hmm. So are many of your employees older than you? I would say most of them are. Yep. I'm still definitely at the younger side of, of all the employees. Yeah. <laughs> what is that dynamic like? Oh, they they love joking about it and having fun about it, and they love telling me that I'm younger than um, I'm younger than their kids are and all that stuff. <laughs> so. What are you now? You're twenty. I'm twenty seven now. Twenty seven. Yeah. Okay, that's legit. You're yeah. closer to thirty. I'm closer see? to thirty than twenty. Yeah, <laughs> that must I see mean a something. couple wrinkles starting to creep in. Not at all. Um, so, when was the last time you worked the state fair? Uh, this year. Oh, every Seriously? year. Seriously? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I. I need to. You go. You never give up an opportunity to talk to that many consumers. Uh-huh. You know, I just love that. You. Um, it's just like I did a I did a grocery store demo this past Saturday because I, um, you know, I I want to spend time talking and understanding how are the se- you know we just launched these two seasonal products which I'll tell you about maybe in a bit but you know you want to understand how are those going what are people yeah. thinking how would they heard of us in the first time so i i value that a lot okay and what do you hear and do they know who you are do they know that you're Mr. Johnny Pops um they don't no one <laughs> i mean some people say oh i just saw you on the tv or i just you know saw this and so every once in a while um but mostly i mean like i said we're such a small brand in so many ways that mm-hmm. People are totally oblivious, and they're just you know they just treat you like uh, like you're just some random salesperson out there peddling <laughs> peddling your wares. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how many flavors do you have at this point? So there's twelve of them that are sold in grocery stores. We have basically fifteen completed ones that a couple exclusives that we have going on, a couple different um, you know these seasonal flavors that we have. Um, okay, you have to tell what the seasonal okay, seasonal flavors flavor. are. So we released a pumpkin spice. You got to have pumpkin, um, which is that just pressure, like the pressure of America that every brand must have something Maybe pumpkin? that's the pressure of America, but you, I mean, we made ours, it's called pumpkin spice, but it is a pumpkin pie because it's essentially the ingredients that go in pumpkin pie. I mean, it's this delicious pumpkin puree and then heavy cream, right? Mm-hmm. So it just tastes like pumpkin pie with whipped cream as opposed to, you know, a lot of pumpkin spices have that pumpkin flavoring and then something sort of spice, you know, mm-hmm. that spice blend after it to sort of round it out. Um, I would say ours is much more like a pumpkin pie, very Thanksgiving-y yeah. um, tasting as opposed to just that. But yeah, that, that's true. I mean, it is an amazing American phenomenon to see how many pumpkin products right. um, launch, you know, this time of year. How long did you work on it? 
before launching? Um, that was probably five or six months we had been working on this because we said we don't want to just be another Me Too pumpkin. If we're, <laughs> we're going to do this, you know, it's got to be outstanding. And um, we brought in so many pumpkin samples and all these different purees and different pumpkins that have different taste profiles and figuring out, okay, how are we going to make this taste like a pie and how do we make it true to, you know, this Johnny Pop smoothie on a stick taste? Instant um, hit? It wasn't instant hit. We had, uh, we've had some uh, supply issues, which is good, but we've just been selling out like crazy, um, which means next year we're just going to have to, you know, we'll probably triple or quadruple the forecast for it next year. It's That's just, amazing. it's been an amazing launch. And what was the um, other seasonal? So flavor? right behind it, we have a gingerbread and, you know, that's got really nice molasses notes in it. It's got a, a maple syrup and then this awesome spice blend. So it's sort of your, um, I would say warmer, spicier, real sort of later holiday season flavor. So People liking that too? People like that one a lot. I think there is there is this crazy pumpkin craze going on right now. <laughs> That's so, the early fall. The early later fall. Later is we switch to, to ginger. Yeah, so I think maybe once the snow starts flying and, and people start listening to Christmas music, I feel like that gingerbread's going to be uh, okay. a big hit. Um, is there pressure to keep coming up with new and next? And, and do you have copycats that you now worry about? What What's the competition like? Um, competition is fierce, as it always is in consumer packaged goods. I mean, there's so many people who are, you know, copying you, but they're also just, I mean, making their own awesome innovations, you know, that, that are, are challenging to compete with. But, you know, at the same time, we got a really nice, um, we got a really nice focus, I think, carved out and based on our process, based on the fact that we're manufacturing our own products and based on where I know we're getting our ingredients from and that integrity, I mean, there just is a noticeable, consistent taste and quality difference that mm -hmm. I think, you know, for the time being remains our, you know, our number one competitive advantage where other people just aren't going to invest in the product and in the process the same way that we are. And and for that reason, it gives it such a, you know, homemade feel and taste and authentic, you know, the flavors just shine through the fruit. The fruit is, uh, you know, sweet and ripe and, you know, exactly how we want it to be. So as long as we keep focused on that, I feel like we're, we got a really nice runway. What part of this whole enterprise, I mean, you're, you're thinking about numbers and manufacturing and supply chain and flavors and I mean, so many different things. What's your favorite part of it? Oh, favorite part. Um, I, I mean, favorite part is the, the variety is very fun. Um, I do tend to love the manufacturing side of it. I think hmm. that's when we were concepting businesses, we just said we think it would be fun to make a physical product as opposed to, uh, um, and that's nothing against tech businesses or, or anyone who's offering some type of service. It's just there's something alluring to me about let's go manufacture something real and put it into the world and watch yeah. people interact with it. So I've always loved figuring out how are we going to scale production? How are we going to package these? How are we going to, um, you know, do the the food safety aspects of it? That to me has always been very interesting. It seems like you kind of have to love the problem solving <laughs> or you're really, I mean, there's so much of that is what starting a business is. It is a combination of critical thinking and timing. What's I mean, the biggest mistake you've made? Oh, there's so Have you many. had any? Oh, there's zillions <laughs> of biggest mistakes. I remember so. talking to you after a truckload had like got. Wasn't there like a root yeah, beer float had, issue? We've had we've had root beer float issues. We've had we've had melted products. We've had. Um, I mean, I would maintain by saying I think our biggest mistake was, uh, 
we could have, um, I think we could have continued to invest in putting the the team first and like the just how much people have accelerated our business. I think we've seen in the last, you know, in the last eight years, right? Since we were a, a team of four, right? I mean, if I had to look back and say, you know, what would I have done different or what was the biggest mistake? It's just you realize how much stronger you are when you have amazing people working on the business mm. who are passionate and they're dialed in and all that. And I think so hire faster. Yeah, I'd say hire great people faster. You just have to be such an advocate for um, hunting for, you know, just the absolute best and brightest to come work on these ideas. And and frankly, I'd love to say, oh, I figured out the popsicle industry or I figured out the ice cream industry myself. But like the truth is, that's just not the case, right? I've, if anything, orchestrated a band of people and had a so many I mean, hundreds of people contribute to making this happen, but just convinced a lot of really smart people to work on this, and that's what's put us to where we are. What is the ultimate goal with Johnny Pops? Where where do you want to take this company? I would say we, I mean, the the sky still feels like the limit for us right now. I mean, we just are so focused on growing it. I mean, we are in around somewhere between 12 and 15% of the grocery stores nationally, so it feels like... Right now, the, the sites are set on how do we get that number to 60 70% of the grocery stores nationally? How do we kick off some big advertising campaigns to tell people about the product? How do we innovate some new, exciting flavors that um, have a, a viral or a very organic, organically shareable nature to them? I mean, I think all of those are, are fun for us right now. You know, I don't... Um, do you want to sell it? Do you want to? I mean, do you do you envision yourself running this company, you know, for many years to come? Do you do you think you've got other startups in you? I think I have other companies in me, but I wouldn't. You know, this one is so close from, uh, you know, even from a naming standpoint to not only from you know the it's named after my cousin, but just also it's. It's such a passion project for us. We love it so much. I mean, it's hard to imagine that oh, we're going to go run out and sell it. I mean, we've you know. Since you know a couple of years after college, right, we've sort of had consistent offers. You know, at first they weren't that credible, but you know, in the last couple of years, right, we we have consistent offers to to purchase our business. And you know, as long as it's growing at the rate it is and it's exciting as we're, and we're learning, I don't think that's what's on the near horizon for us. You know, at some point, if it stops growing in the way that it is, if we can't take the Johnny brand and go put it into other parts of the grocery store, or if we can't go launch a totally different product line off of it. You know, then I'd say, well, we should evaluate what the best option is and who the best team is to be working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think, you know, I don't plan on lifestyling the business and just like running it as a big stable company, you know, until I retire type thing. I would I would want to go get back in and grow things. And I, I like that excitement. So I know that's not a perfect answer as to what the end is, but that's yeah. sort of sort of where we're headed. Well, you don't have to know the end right now. That's yeah. kind of part of the fun, right? Yeah. Um, when you aren't doing uh, demos at grocery stores on the weekend or doing the state fair, like, do you, what is your schedule like? Are you constantly on call? Are you always thinking about this business? Do you have a life outside of it? Always thinking about it for sure. Um, do a fair amount of cooking still. So I, I do love cooking and, and making fun meals. Um, completed... Uh, I'm a bit of a long-distance runner. We completed our first marathon, uh, and I've been running a handful of um, shorter-distance events. We're thinking of running maybe one or two more next year. We're talking about it. My wife and I are, so excited about that. But 
It's it's a lot of work. You know, we just love I love coming home and I basically go to the office all day, work on it, and then come home, make dinner, and either jump back on the computer or jump on the phone and keep working on it. I mean, it's sort of, uh, it's all consuming, but in a good way, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the real question. How many popsicles do you eat in a given week? Well, uh, it it ebbs and flows, certainly, based on a little bit, you know, the time of year, but also how much R&D we're doing, right? Because Mm. sometimes, you know, I have... Like today is a perfect example. I tasted seven products that we have in the pipeline right now. Some of them are just variations. Some of them are totally new this morning. And so my taste buds are a little bit, I wouldn't say messed up, but just, you know, it was, I was all over the map trying to, you know, yeah. sort, of, sort of work on these flavors. So what's the palate cleanser between popsicles? Yeah. Like, I don't know, sparkling water or something <laughs> right. like that. <laughs> right. Um, so I would say, you know, I probably won't have one this afternoon, even though I usually do, mm. um, just because I was sort of, you know, I had parts of seven different flavors uh, this morning. Uh, at the same time, though, like, you know, there are a lot of mornings where I skip breakfast and I'm like, oh, well, like, I can have, you know, 10 grams of sugar and I can have a smoothie on a stick. Like, this is a perfect way to get to get me going for the day. And, and, I, and I start with one. So, I don't know, somewhere... Somewhere between a lot and a little <laughs> every week. Sounds good. Can you give us just like one hint on an ingredient that you're like targeting beyond pumpkin and ginger? Oh, beyond what? pumpkin and ginger. Yeah. Where where do you see the, the future I will of say, popsicles? Uh, pumpkin and gingerbread opened up the world for us of like using spices in a meaningful way. Mm. And so we hadn't before thought about just, um, you know, we use like some... Uh, Obviously, lots of fruits and in our delight line, we use things like, you know, in our our root beer float, we use, you know, organic root beer, basically concentrate, right? Um, And we hadn't really thought about like, well, what if we start including spices in a meaningful way? And so that has been something we've started to play around with. I mean, we don't want to make this esoteric spice that no one's going to like, but you can sort of imagine there's a lot of spices that blend really nicely with desserts. So we're mm. starting to think through about how how we can use that uh, that world into some new innovation. Okay, well, we'll stay tuned and watch the freezer case. Eric Press, thank you so much for being here. Stick around. We are going back to the classroom next with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Thanks, Eric. Yep, thanks. Have a good one. Well, Johnny Pops has had a lot of success, sweet success right out of the gates. And if you've been to any sort of grocery store lately, you've probably seen them and you know that they are growing rapidly. But it's still early days for Johnny Pops, and there are a lot of stages to this growth thing still to come. To find out what's ahead and how you need to start changing your thinking past the original venture, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Associate Professor John John McVeigh is an expert in entrepreneurial strategy. I'm curious, John, first of all, have you ever had a Johnny Pops? <laughs> well, actually, I have. And it should be, it's, this is good news for the entrepreneurs. I actually bought a Johnny Pop uh, randomly at Kowalski's, got to the end. On the way home, I ate it and thought, that's delicious. And then I thought, I wonder how much that cost, because ah. I had no idea how much I'd spent on it. So okay. I think as an entrepreneur entering the market, I must be the ideal taste customer, because well. I never price compared <laughs> at all. Well, there you go. So, uh, you know, they, things seem to be going really well. They've become a, a really great success story in this 
market and beyond, but it's pretty early still. Yes, and and this the, the, their story uh, exemplifies one of the the opportunities and the challenges in the entrepreneurial trajectory. You know, at the start, we sometimes talk about leadership styles and what is the right leadership style. But in truth, um, there are different leadership styles for different circumstances. If you think of the entrepreneur during the startup phase, the startup phase is the phase that Johnny Pops has mostly been in. You know, for many years, uh, you know, they sort of admitted they they didn't even know if they were making money or they certainly weren't making enough money to pay themselves a, a fair return. And they're only just getting to the point of, of, of making a return and growing. Well, in those early stages, you you need somebody with a really clear vision. You need someone who's almost a little autocratic. It's my way or the highway. Who's got a really clear idea of their product. They will never compromise on that product because it's the only thing that's keeping them separate from the competition. You need to have the person who's somewhat charismatic. They're going to do every job themselves. They're going to be the person who you know sweeps the floor as well as talks to the CEO of their supplier company. And you hear that in their story. They were prepared to get their hands dirty. Everybody did everything. It was all hands to the pump. It was exciting. It was egalitarian. Everybody was motivated. And it was informal. There were no systems. There was just this culture of success and no compromise. Mm -hmm. That is fantastic. You get to a certain point in growth when suddenly growth is not the singular objective. Suddenly things like consistency, efficiency, cost, management of your business becomes important as well. That doesn't sound like as much fun. No, it doesn't. And in fact, that's why we see a great many serial entrepreneurs leave organizations at exactly that point once we hit the growth phase. And the reason is sometimes because they don't find it fun and they want to move on. And sometimes, actually, they don't make it fun for anyone else Mm. because they retain the uh, tendency to be an autocrat, to be my way or the highway, not to delegate, not to share responsibility, and not to hire people and give them responsibility. And so... Here's a classic example. Steve Jobs, famously, we look back at his story now like he was at Apple all his life. And we sort of forget that he got fired. Mm -hmm. And he got fired for exactly those reasons. He could not compromise. He was a sort of very authoritarian leader. He left. Fortunately for him, he went away and ran another business. He had some time. He went some time in India and thought about his life and the sort of person he wanted to be. And he was able to come back when he was invited back to Apple a few years later as a different person. Mm-hmm. And he was able to bring like his lead designer, other people, and give them responsibility and and roles. He was lead to able to ascend to a more um, sort of a sort of presidential level within the organization, um, and. He made that transition. Is it possible to make that transition without leaving? I mean, Eric seems to be fairly realistic. I mean, he had the vision, he had the drive and the grit, and he seems everything is new, Mm -hmm. but he seems to be, you know, taking responsibility for those new challenges and new steps. Can you do it? Can you do both? There are are at least three or four paths. One of the things you can do is you can stay being a serial entrepreneur. There are many entrepreneurs who get through the startup phase, they love it, then they want to sell out and they want to move on and do take their money and start start the next venture. And mm-hmm. we have these people who will start three, four, five, take them through the growth phase, and then they move on. That's what they love, and that's when what they're best at. We'll see a very few number of people who are actually able to make that transition as an individual. So we, Steve Jobs did make that, even though someone would still be critical of his, of his of sort of... Um, Sort of, sort of autocratic tendencies, even in his latter years. Um, but some do make that transition. But a more common way is to find a partner. Mm. And you see, you know, the startup entrepreneur 
we're tempted to hire people in our own image. And that's very dangerous for a startup entrepreneur. You need to hire someone who is complementary to you. And if you have these charismatic, my, high, my way or the highway type personality and skills, maybe you need to find someone who is a careful planner. Maybe you need to find someone who is much more low-key developer of systems. Within An accounting your, major. Indeed. Someone, <laughs> and although there are many, many, I don't know, there are many, many entrepreneurial accountants. Uh, but um, you need to find someone who complements your skill and who will grow into a more organizational role to work alongside you. And you see that often. Or if you're an entrepreneur and you have those more managerial skills, perhaps you need to partner with someone who is the, the entrepreneur. Right. So take someone like Richard Branson. Richard Branson famously has no attention of detail, only in midlife actually admitted that he was dyslexic and could not read any of the financial reports that had been written to him for years and bluffed around that for years. And he learned very cleverly to assemble a team of very conservative, able managers to work underneath him and to manage the tasks that he simply couldn't or didn't want to do. Hmm. But he was very clever in assembling a support team that complemented his skills rather than someone that was in competition. So those two sides of the coin, they're both part of entrepreneurship. You have to have the inspiring, break all the rules, make no compromise personality. But you also have to have some systematic thinking and some ability to get things done and to, and to delegate and to develop others around you. And either if you're lucky, you can develop both sides within yourself. If you can't do that, you need to be very careful about your entrepreneurial partnerships and make sure you find someone who's complementary to your own skill set. Right. Great advice. Important to know who you are in that scenario. Indeed. Thank you, Professor McVeigh. And thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts and take a minute to rate and review us. It really helps the show. I'm Allison Kaplan on behalf of Twin Cities Business. Thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. Bye.